Today on Blue 58, as the Packers prepare for their final two games of the season in the spirit of Christmas, I thought we should take a pause and take a look at what we've been given this year. Where have we been given the biggest gifts as Packers fans? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am extra happy to be with you here for this episode because it means that I have a voice again. You may have... Notice that this podcast is coming out a little bit late. We had intended to get in the in the studio to record on Tuesday, but as has been the case far too often this year, our family got sick again over Christmas. The youngsters started getting sick last Thursday or Friday, which meant that me and my wife started to get it on Saturday and Sunday, and well, it's kind of been a slow recovery process since then, and I had absolutely no voice at all on Tuesday, and then I realized Wednesday I did the podcast equivalent of going through warm-ups and seeing how things felt, had everything prepped and ready to go, and sat down and just sounded like a frog crooking into the microphone. You probably still hear it a little bit, but it was much worse yesterday. Anyway, we're going to try to give it a shot. We've got some pumpkin spice tea on hand, and we'll just take this as slow as we need to go to get through it, because there's a lot of things that we get through, and then we'll be back again tomorrow or Saturday, perhaps, with a look at the Minnesota Vikings. Some housekeeping before we get started. Our fundraiser continues on, raising money for the Aaron Jones ANA All the Way Foundation. We are up to a total of $1,674.42, which means that we have surpassed our total from last year, which gives me a chance to use my favorite sound effect on my soundboard. Ta-da! We have arrived. We have surpassed last year's total, which was our goal, Now I would like to just give you the added incentive. If we can get to $2,000 by our deadline, which is 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, I will add another Packers jersey to our giveaway stash, whatever you want to call it. Stash, cash, prize vault, whatever. If we can get to that number, I'll throw another jersey in that will up your chances of winning one. Just a, a way of saying thank you for helping make this fundraiser a success. Busy week in Packers land. I want to talk about uh, what happened in week 16 a little bit before we get to some of the great things that have happened for the Packers this year that we can be thankful for as gifts for Packers fans. But first, some news coming out of Green Bay this week. Jair Alexander has been suspended one game for conduct detrimental to the team. Matt LaFleur explained the reasoning behind the decision in his press conference earlier this week. Yeah, that's something that we made uh, together and it's unfortunate that you know, we're at that juncture and um, felt like it was in the best interest long term uh, for our for our team and for Jair. And certainly uh, it was it was a tough decision, you know, especially, you know, kind of where we're at right now. And, um, you know, one we don't take lightly, but there's standards that are we're all held accountable for. And when they're not met, unfortunately, Sometimes you got to take some drastic measures. However, I will say that you know we are expecting to get we'll get him back, and we're looking forward to get him back. I think we had a long conversation this morning. I thought it was very productive, uh, and you know I think in the long run, although it's painful now, I think we're all going to be better for this moving forward. To me, the key takeaway here is that there were standards and expectations that he did not live up to. Lafleur did not go on to enumerate exactly what those standards and expectations are, but I harp on that line because it's almost exactly what he said 
a little over a year ago, November 20, or November 15th, 2022, when the Packers cut Kylan Hill and also Amari Rodgers on the same day, but specifically Kylan Hill. Here's what he had to say when they cut Hill at the time, tried to find audio of it, could not track it down. But uh, speaking about it at the time, he said, quote, being a member of the Green Bay Packers, it's a privilege. There are standards and expectations that are placed on every member of their, this team that we expect guys to live up to, end quote. It goes on beyond that, but basically they, he did not meet the standard that they had set for him at the time. Kylan Hill didn't, and Jair Alexander is not or has not met the standard the Packers have asked him to live up to as well. Lafleur was careful, and he was asked directly about this, whether it was to do with the coin toss incident against the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. He said that was not the case. Just to recap, if you are have somehow missed that storyline this week, Jair Alexander appointed himself, I guess, technically a captain, went out for the coin toss on Sunday against the Carolina Panthers, being that he's from the Charlotte area. I guess he felt he was owed that. He called the coin toss, made the call correctly, made the subsequent decision incorrectly. So if you don't know, if you're out at the coin toss, it's not just a, a two-part decision, kick or receive. You actually have a three-part decision. You can kick, you can receive, or you can defer your decision to the second half. Jair reportedly told the official that he that they wanted to play defense. And according to Tom Silverstein of the PackersNews.com slash Milwaukee Journal Sentinel podcast, Matt LaFleur had told the official prior to the game that if they, they won the toss, they wanted to defer. So fortunately, the official took Jair Alexander's words to mean that rather than just, we want to kick off. If they had taken him literally, the Packers would have kicked off to start the game and to start the second half because Alexander had technically messed things up. So... It could have been about that, but it wasn't that specifically. Lafleur kind of cleared up what exactly it was, and really it was not just that at all. It's never for one thing, um, but like I said, I think there's a lot of lessons along the way from from everybody involved, and um, hopefully we learn from them. I think we will. I think there will be probably better communication moving forward. And like I said, I think Jaw's going to be here a long time. He's a hell of a player. Um, and just looking to move past this and learn from it. And we'll all move forward and be better for it. So what is that communication about? What were those things that happened along the way, those, those lessons that they need to learn together along the, lay, on, along the way? We don't know, and we're probably never going to know because nobody could get LaFleur to get more specific than that about what had been going on. So it's really hard to say anything for sure about what exactly went on here. We do know a couple things for sure. First, we know that Jair Alexander is a very talented football player who has been injured a lot, sure, over the past three seasons, but he's at his best one of the best. We also know that he's kind of a knucklehead, to put it politely. There's a bunch of different terms you could use there. I think that conveys it pretty well. And look, a lot of guys in their early to mid-20s are knuckleheads. I'm sure that I did quite a few knuckleheaded things. I'm not even like false modesty here, pretending that I didn't do knuckleheaded things when I was that age. I did because, you know, everybody does. He just happens to do them when he's in a, a spotlight in a nationally televised sport. With every kind of knuckleheaded player comes the decision point at some point on whether or not the knuckleheadedness is worth the talent. And I, I don't feel like we're there yet with Alexander. However, I think this is a step in that conversation, 
And I think we're probably going to get an offseason of should the Packers trade Jair Alexander sort of stories and rumors, and maybe we'll have that conversation ourselves at some point. I would probably lean no until he absolutely forces you to, and I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but I, certainly we it seems like this is taking a step down that path. But we don't know what happened. We don't know exactly why this all went down. Other than that, it's a combination of things, and everything is always a combination of things unless you do something really singularly bad. So I think that's all that really needs to be said about this. The Packers have, have suspended Jair Alexander, and I guess stay tuned to loosely quote Terrell Owens, get your popcorn ready, or maybe keep it ready for a while, because I feel like we are going to have this conversation a few more times in the next few months and maybe years. Okay, week 16. Uh, Good win for the Packers. Not the best game overall for the Packers, but the Packers needed a win, and they got it. They got it perhaps despite their defense, but there were some good things in this game too. The first and I think biggest one has to do with Jordan Love. It's annoying that Jordan Love's performance, I think in the back half of the season, has largely, I think down the stretch, been overshadowed by Joe Barry and the defense. Maybe this is just how sports media works. Maybe I've contributed to this. I don't know. But it seems like there always ends up being one storyline that engulfs a whole team, for better or for worse. Sometimes it's the right storyline. In 2020, everybody was dealing with the pandemic. But for the Packers, it just ended up being... How great is Aaron Rodgers playing this year, and can it continue? Uh, The answers to those storylines is very great and no, I guess, because even as well as he played in the NFC Championship game, there's always people who are going to want more, and yeah, maybe he could have played better. Uh, I think you understand what I'm saying, though, here. That that was the right storyline about the 2020 Packers. How great is Aaron Rodgers? That probably overshadowed some other issues with that team. This year, we're dealing with a defense that cannot get out of its own way. And we'll talk about the defense here in a second. But Jordan Love is ascending and maybe is really showing what the Packers should be thinking about this offseason as far as whether or not they should re-sign him. Checking back in on our, you know, one-numbered tells-the-whole-story figure of adjusted net yards per attempt. And I, you know, I, I use that description loosely because one never, number is never going to be perfect. But this is this is a pretty good one. In his, fa- in his last seven games, Jordan Love has posted an adjusted net yards per attempt of seven and a half or higher five times, five of the last seven games. His eight-game trend, and all these numbers are available at thepowersweep.com if you click on our resources tab, his eight-game trend is at 7.33, and that's significant because Aaron Rodgers finished last season with an eight-game adjusted net yards per attempt trend of 6.29. So Love is almost a full yard better than Rodgers was toward the end of 2022. He's also got a 16-game trend of 6.24, which for the first time puts him ahead of Aaron Rodgers at the exact same point in their careers. So signs are pointed way up for Jordan Love. And it fits perfectly with what we said about him prior to the last game, that maybe the real savior for the Packers defense might have to be Jordan Love, just because that's that's basically where the defense is right now. You need him to be the guy who, who rescues you and ends up scoring all the time, virtually every time the Packers have the ball. He's got to be making plays because that's how good the Packers' offense needs to be to overcome their defense. And that was certainly the case on Sunday. The Packers' offense needed to score 33 points to win that game. That is not a position that you would like to be in. But 
man, it's it's one that you would just prefer not to be in if you didn't have to. Second good thing to come out of this game has to be Aaron Jones' performance. One of his best, well, his best performance of the season, I think, by far, just in terms of overall volume and his first 100-yard game since Week 17 of last year. It shows what kind of different ma- difference maker he still can be, even at his age, even with the mileage that he's he's put on his personal tires, just with the injuries that he has had this year. He showed that, yeah, and you know, against a, a defense that admittedly isn't isn't just chock full of world beaters, but he showed what a difference he can make with this offense. And as good as Jordan Love played, he kind of backed up the conventional wisdom that a great running game, you know, it does all the things that all the old school coach speak stuff tells you it can do. It keeps you on schedule. It puts you in easy down and distant situation. It wears down the defense. He, Jordan Love did, answered questions about that after the game, said he loved having Jones back in the lineup. And I thought, you know, it was worth sharing some of his perspective there just on what Jones means to the team. I mean, it's huge. Um, you know, when you can run the ball first, second down and get huge gains and kind of just convert and keep those drives rolling, it's huge. Um, you know, it takes pressure off the pass game um, and, and keeps the defense on their heels trying to find ways to stop the run. Um, but I think just the way we started running the ball in those first couple drives was huge um, and got us going. And I'm not saying that Jones has to be that good in week 17 and 18 to get the Packers to the playoffs or at least help them win out, but it sure could not hurt. Speaking of things that will help, if not be absolutely essential, Lucas Van Ness continues his quiet improvement over the second half of the season. He had two pressures against the Carolina Panthers, which gives him five straight games with at least one. According to our pressure rate stats at thepowersweep.com, he's now got a true pass set pressure rate of more than 9% on the season. We're getting close to some very, very good thresholds for Lucas over the course of the season. He's really come on strong over the second half. But as to the defense, the big screaming negative coming out of the Packers' win over the Panthers was their defense. And I look, I have been pretty strongly in favor of making a change at defensive coordinator, even if I wrote a thing for AgmePackingCompany.com about getting used to the idea of playing or of seeing Joe Barry back for 2024, even if I presented that case here on the podcast. That doesn't mean I think it's a good idea. I think the Packers should make a change at defensive coordinator, and I think they should have fired Joe Barry after the Buccaneers game, if not prior to that this year. I understand Matt LaFleur's arguments for not making the change, even if I don't agree. But whether or not it is the right decision or not to have fired Joe Barry earlier this year, this is what they're going with. They're sticking with him for the end uh, through the end of the 2023 season. This is just how it's going to be. And I think we saw after this game on Sunday that Lafleur really isn't defending the defense anymore, but he is putting more on the offense's plate. That was definitely frustrating. Um, you know, I, I think. But it wasn't just it wasn't just on the defense. I mean, offensively, you, you got to give them a, a breather, especially if we're bleeding a little bit defensively. We got to find a way to, you know, put together a scoring drive. We got to find a way to get some first downs to allow those guys to recover, recoup. Um, momentum's a crazy phenomenon, and I think they just they got the momentum in the, in the second half, and uh, they were rolling and really in every phase. Now, surely Lafleur realizes this, but. He's walking a very tricky line with the standard he's setting for the offense, I think, in those remarks and basically just after the game. On the one hand, it's true. This is just how it is. The defense isn't going to change. 
the personnel isn't changing. The play caller isn't changing. This is the defense that the Packers have. So when he says we need more from the offense in the second half, that is just a fair assessment of where the Packers are. Yeah, we just need more from the offense because the defense isn't going to give us anything at all, even against the relatively hapless Carolina Panthers. But on the very large other hand, how much more can you really ask for from this Packers offense, given what they had at receiver by the end of this game? They're finishing out that game with a healthy receiving core of Romeo Dobbs, Malik Heath, Bo Melton, and Samori Ture. So you've got a second-year day three guy, an undrafted free agent in Malik Heath, a second-year seventh-round pick in Samori Ture, and another second-year seventh-round pick in Bo Melton, who's already on his second NFL team. That is not a murderer's row of talent, and I'm fairly high on a few of those guys. And even with that, Look at what the Packers put up over the course of this game. Now, obviously, it's not all the same in terms of personnel availability throughout the whole game, but just look at what the Packers did on offense in this game on a drive-by-drive basis. The Packers scored on their first four drives in this game. Touchdown, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. They get the ball back right before the end of the half. They throw up a Hail Mary. It doesn't connect, but at least they had a shot to score there. Second half, they go three and out to start. But then a nine-play, 66-yard touchdown drive, a three and out, a three and out, then a nine-play, 61-yard field goal drive. So yes, some three and outs in there. But overall, seven scoring drives and seven drives that produced points out of their 10 quote-unquote real drives, uh, that's impressive. And you also, if you throw in there, even if you don't consider it a real drive because of the the end-of-half situation, they at least had a chance to score on the Hail Mary drive. So really, 8 out of 11 there. That is insanely good. I understand that the three and outs are bad. We've talked about complimentary football, I think, ad nauseum this year, and that's the epitome of bad offensive complimentary football. Sure, those are bad, granted. But if those are the things that you're going to really point to as big mistakes for the offense on Sunday, we're edging really closely to literally never make a mistake territory. Because if you start drilling down to three and outs, you know, where you get close, you're talking about a yard or two here that the offense didn't get being what Matt LaFleur is complaining about there as far as the offense needing to be better. And that is just a really, really high bar for this very, very young offense. A young offense that has improved a lot over the course of the season, to be sure, but an offense that is being asked to carry virtually the entire load for the team right now. So I wanted to close out today by talking about gifts. I know we're a couple days past Christmas now, but it's still the Christmas season. 12 days of Christmas actually goes from Christmas until, well, 12 days after that, whenever that would be, sometime into January. You get it, though. We're talking about gifts. And I think there are a few things that we've been given this year as Packers fans that I, for one, am thankful for and also just plainly excited about. The first is the Packers' young playmakers. We track explosive plays at thepowersweep.com and on here. It's been truly exciting to see the number of explosive plays coming from the Packers' rookie pass-catching group. Uh, Explosive catches, or explosive plays rather, are runs of at least 12 yards or receptions of at least 16 yards. I know those numbers are a little bit arbitrary. There is a long lineage of them being used as thresholds by NFL teams themselves, so those are the numbers that we go with. By those standards, though, Jaden Reed has 19 explosive plays on the year, Dontavian Wicks has 16, Luke Musgrave has 7, and Tucker Craft has 6. 
45, if my math is correct, from four rookies is pretty stinging impressive. This is a great group. They've been wildly productive. They've, I think, exceeded expectations by just about every measure you could have this year. It took a little while for Luke Musgrave to find his feet, but Wicks and Reed and Kraft and, and I guess Musgrave in there too have been exactly, I think, on balance what we hoped they would be this year. And Wicks, especially as, as I think exceeded expectations, a, a day three guy coming in and, and putting up 16 explosive plays is just incredible. It's the best day that I think I've got on record from a 16 or, or from a, uh, a day three pick as a rookie. Just great stuff from this group of guys and it looks really promising for 2024. That dovetails with, I think, an overall more explosive offense as a whole. Through, what is it now, 15 games? Yeah, 17 game season, two left, we have 15 games. Through 15 games, the Packers have currently 98 explosive plays as a team and 60 plays of 20 yards or more. Last year for the entire season, they had 108 explosive plays and 66 plays of 20 or more yards. Not on pace here for a huge improvement, but they are on pace to beat both of those numbers. And I think it says good things about this Packers offense that they are at least better than Aaron Rodgers with a broken thumb Packers offense. They've put more people in place. They've gotten more out of, I think, their quarterback with Jordan Love being healthy the whole season than they were able to do with Aaron Rodgers last year, even though he did have a broken thumb for a substantial portion of the season. They have improved over where they were last year, which I think is is a storyline that we need to keep in the back of our minds as we start to enter the looking back on the 2023 Packers portion of the year. Thirdly, even if the defense hasn't been great, they have given us, I think, one important thing. They've given us clear areas for improvement on defense. We've talked about kind of the no true Jordan Love evaluation um, idea this season and how there was a chance with things going badly around him or Jordan Love getting hurt or the offensive line being bad, this, that, or the other thing, that we might just come out of 2023 not really having gotten a good look at Jordan Love this year. That has turned out not to be the case, but I think that general idea is something to be wary of as you form opinions about teams in general. You've got to just be mindful of what is going into your evaluation and the circumstances of those evaluations. And sometimes you just might not be getting a really clean look at a unit or a a group of players or a specific side of the ball. I think as it pertains to the Packers defense, we've actually got a pretty clear look at what the Packers have had on that side of the ball this year. We've had pretty good health on the defensive line. We've gotten, you know, pretty, pretty reliable play. A consistent play, put it that way, week in and week out uh, from the linebackers. I'm not saying it's been good, but at least it's been consistent as a unit. It's not like there have been wild fluctuations that you'd have to account for. We've gotten a look at the Packers' depth at quarterback and just at safety in general, just the, at each of the players the Packers have there, which I think dovetails really well with questions that we had at those positions. So looking at the defense as a whole, we can start to make some really informed decisions and and opinions about where they're strong and where they're weak based on what we've seen this year. And that that is a gift. That is something that shouldn't go by the boards this year. I think there's a a case to be made that the the good defensive linemen and edge rushers the Packers have, their top-end guys, are looking really good. We talked in the last podcast, or whenever that was, 
last week at some point. I have lost all track of time over over the holiday break. Got a bunch of time off of work. We've been sick. The holidays, time has no meaning for me. If you told me it was Saturday and the Packers played tomorrow today, I would probably believe you uh, because every day has felt like Saturday for a while here because that's just how it is. Anyway, the last time we talked, we talked about how Devontae Wyatt has been one of the Packers' better defensive linemen this year, how Kenny Clark is playing well, how Preston Smith is playing well, how Lucas Van Ness is playing pretty well, how Rashawn Gary is doing the things you want from Rashawn Gary pretty well to really well. The guys that you need to play well and that you would expect to play well basically have this year. And that's a good thing. That tells you something important about that unit. You don't need to necessarily pour a bunch more resources into that unit. But what does it tell us? We still need to add some more competent size there because even as good a job as TJ Slayton has done there, he could use some help up front. They're still pretty light, especially beyond their top three guys. They need some more beef up front. They need more consistent play at linebacker. You need some more playmaking ability there other than Quay Walker. Even Quay Walker has not done a whole lot in terms of splash plays or ball hawks this year. As a unit, they're having one of their least productive seasons in almost a decade. Uh, the only time, I mean, if the if the number holds, the only time the linebackers on defense, the inside linebackers, the off-ball guys, whatever you want to call them, on defense have produced fewer ball hawks than um, they have this year was all the way back in the 2016 season when Nate Palmer and Joe Thomas combined for six between Devondre Campbell and Quay Walker and Isaiah McDuffie, they've combined for five and a half so far this year. And that is just not, not good enough as a group. They need more out of those guys and you just need them to be more productive. We've also gotten a pretty clear idea that the Packers need more help on the corners. Uh, Whether Jair Alexander is part of their long-term plans or not, you know, we can have that debate. We probably will. Uh, He needs to be better. He needed to be better this year, even when he was healthy. Uh, Eric Stokes is still a question mark, and there is really no solid depth beyond those guys with Rasul Douglas not in the picture anymore. Safety remains the same question mark it was at the start of the season. Well, less a question mark and more just a question mark about where they're going to go from here. Each of the guys the Packers have played at safety this year has had, I think, their fair share of both good and bad individual moments, which is good and bad, I guess. It's bad because, well, you would hope that eventually they would improve, but it's good in that that's basically what we thought they would be at the start of the year. So nobody has really surprised us that we're going to have to to pay a lot more than we probably would have expected or that you would feel bad about having to let go because of the Packers' realities at, at cap or on their cap sheet. And nobody has been so bad that it's been like, clearly costing the Packers games. It's it's hurt them individually at times, but it hasn't been like the safety room has been this rolling dumpster fire that has utterly undone the Packers' defense week in and week out. Sure, some hyperbole there, but I think you understand what I'm saying. At least we've gotten a good overall look at this defense and what it can do. Finally, the Packers have given us as fans a chance to root for something interesting in the NFC North. I know this is a big if. I know there's a lot of factors that go into this. I know there's things out of the Packers' control here. But the Packers have a good chance to go 2-0 and here over the last week of the season, which would mean in the NFC North this year, they would go 4-2 and overall. They would split with the Vikings, they would split with the Lions, and they would sweep the Chicago Bears, which gives them a very realistic shot at making the playoffs. If you 
look at the, you know, the old Al Davis saying from the Raiders, just win, baby, is all they got to do. Well, and get a little bit of help, but it's all in front of them. And they've given themselves and us as people watching them a chance, which is all you can really hope for. Sure, they should have buttoned some stuff up earlier. Sure, they should have beaten, you know, the the Buccaneers or or the the New York Giants. That would have helped a lot. But they still have a chance. And if they win against the Vikings and they win against the Bears, chances are pretty good they're going to make the playoffs. And then I think would basically exceed most people's expectations for where they could end up this year. We did predict way back in September that they could make the playoffs, that they would make the playoffs. But I think that's more a reflection of just where the NFC North is as a whole and the fact that you got seven teams going into the playoffs now. But it's all or mostly in the Packers' control right now. I think Jordan Love said it pretty well after the game on Sunday. They know what they've got to do. Know exactly what's out in front of us. Um, you know, we got to go finish the season off. Um, and we have to win these last two games. So, um, like I say, we're going to do the same thing we've been doing all season, taking one game at a time. But we know to keep those hopes alive, we got to, you know, give ourselves a chance. We got to win these last two. So, um, we all know what's in front of us, um, and we know what you know we're capable of. So, we're just going to go finish this thing off, taking one week at a time. That's all it comes down to. And as people rooting for the Packers every week, that's really all you can really hope for. You hope that rooting for your team gives you a chance at meaningful wins. And the Packers here into late December have a chance for meaningful wins. I can't ask for much more than that. I suppose I could ask you to head over to thepowersweep.com and donate to our fundraiser. We are raising money for the Aaron Jones ANA All the Way Foundation. We are nearly to $2,000. If we get there, like I said at the top, I will unlock another jersey for our prize package there. Could give you another chance to win there. No obligation, but we're shooting for two thousand dollars. We've we've beat our our uh, take from last year, so just trying to hit that number again this year, or trying to hit two thousand dollars, we'll do our best. And if you feel so inclined, you've got until eleven fifty nine p.m. on December thirty first to get your donation in. Full instructions at thepowersweep dot com. Uh, thank you for considering that, and thank you for listening to this episode of Blue Fifty Eight. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did. I hope you would take a second and share it with someone you think would enjoy it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.